Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You're the mom, the maid, the keeper of the cookies. You do it all and you look good doing it. It's parenthood on a mother level. Here's your host, Denise Hanitka. Hi, everybody. Welcome to On a Mother Level. I'm Denise Hanitka. So glad you're here for episode 75. And today's guest is Crystal Joy Schneck. She goes by Crystal Joy as a writer. She is a contemporary romance novelist. And she is here to talk about how she got into her writing what inspires her, and to share a little of her own love story. So this is definitely an episode that goes best, I believe, with a cup of coffee and probably a brownie. That's my pastry of choice. And I hope you will sit back and listen to uh, this author's wonderful story. I like to think about my own love story, especially because we are coming up on our 10-year wedding anniversary. We've been together for 15 years, married for almost 10 And one of our favorite things, you know, randomly to do is to think about and trade stories about like, do you remember, do you remember how you felt when you first saw me? Do you remember when we um, first started sending each other Facebook messages before we even knew what Facebook was? That sort of stuff. And so I encourage you to maybe use this episode as a reason to have those remember when conversations with your husband, partner, spouse, person, important, lover, whatever you want to say. Because I think that's kind of fun to look back and remind yourselves why you love that person in the first place and what brought you to um, your marriage or your partnership or whatever. So... I don't know. Do I sound a little syrupy today? That's not really like me, is it? Anyway, I hope you really enjoy this episode. This is episode 75 with Crystal Joy Schneck. The first question I have for you, which I'm sure is the first question a lot of people have for you, is tell me about your love story. (laughs) I do get that question a lot. Um, My husband and I met in college. He was in a fraternity and I was in a sorority. And we met playing pie capture the flag. Um, my husband had his fraternity had a philanthropy, um, raising money for kids with disabilities. And so we were standing on the sidelines and he came up and started talking to me and here I'm thinking, you know, here's this, here's this cute boy, you know, I, I'm starting to, you know, we're starting to get to know each other a little bit. Um, and then he tells me that he's an Iowa cheerleader and I, um, I had never met a male cheerleader before. Um, and you know, he's like this big muscular guy and, it was just so funny because he immediately after telling me he was a cheerleader, it was like, trust me, I'm really good at it. Like, can, can we do a flip? I'm like, um, why would I let you pick me up? I just met you, but you are kind of cute. So <laughs> I let him, I let him flip me, which was a lot of fun. And it's just been a fun ride ever since. Yeah. So what was your first reaction to hearing that he was a cheerleader? I mean, I feel like he, he led with that for a reason. He probably did. And it worked, (laughs) you know, as much as I was shocked, um, I thought it was really cool that he 
did that. And the group of cheerleaders at the University of Iowa are such kind hearted people. And so I became friends with all of them. And, you know, it's just fun because cheerleaders in general are just very outgoing people. And so we just had a lot of fun together. How did he get into that in the first place? He joined a fraternity and a lot of the guys in his fraternity were actually on the cheerleading squad, coincidentally. So he's full of surprises. Yes, I see. Okay. So how did your relationship develop from there? I mean, college relationships, you've got your whole like twenties ahead of you. I met my husband in college as well. So I know, I know all about this, but so what, what happened next? We just started dating and you know, we, we dated and then, um, it was pretty serious by the end. Like we, I thought that maybe he could be, you know, the one, if you want to call him that. And so, uh, in college I had an English and education degree. And so I know I, I knew I wanted to teach at that point. And so I requested that my student teaching be in Bendorf because that's where he was from. I'm originally from West Des Moines and Two weeks before I was supposed to do my student teaching at Bendorf Middle School, the student teaching position fell through. I'm not exactly still to the stage sure what happened, but it didn't work. And I remember just being devastated. I met, you know, at home and thinking, this is it. You know, we're going to break up. You know, nothing is going to happen out of this. And then there was a teacher at North Scott who um, was pregnant and had just told the principal, hey, I'm pregnant. And um, the principal, Shane Kanucky, um, said, you know what? Let's get you a student teacher. You can have a student teacher come in. And then if he or she is good enough, then that person can teach your students when you have your maternity leave um, in the spring. And so, you know, last minute change of plans. A student taught at North Scott and had a blast. I don't can't say enough good things about that school district. So it all worked out. You know, I got to stay in the Quad Cities and date my husband. And at that point, we realized this is the relationship that we want um, for our future and to get married. Who said, I love you first? I did. I never let him forget it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. At what point in the relationship was that? Uh, We were about three months in. Okay. And it was right after the summer, our first summer apart. And I missed him terribly all summer long. And, you know, we saw each other from time to time, but we were both working um, over the summer. And so fall semester had just begun. And that's when we first said, I love you. I just had, I just had to let him know how I felt. I wear my heart on my sleeve. So the moment I felt it, I had to tell him. Okay. So tell me about the proposal then. He proposed to me in my classroom. Um, I had a job at Pleasant Valley Junior High. I was an eighth grade language arts teacher. The moment he got the ring, he could not keep it a secret. And so (laughs) without much planning, he decided, okay, I'm going to call her principal and let him know that I would like to propose to her. The funny thing about the proposal is that he decided to propose to me when Um, the junior high teachers or the eighth grade language arts department, we were having a Holocaust unit and we were teaching the Holocaust unit um, with lit circles and books. Um, So they were reading a lot of historical literature and we had our classes split up like five students from each class um, were split into one. So I only had like five of my own students in the class at that time. And I'm teaching about the Holocaust (laughs) of all things. And so (laughs) 
waltzes right in and the moment I see him come in I knew I like immediately start crying and I'm crying from all these kids I don't even know and I'm like oh my gosh you know and and so he proposes and the hard part for me is that because we were doing this rotation I felt very obligated to continue teaching the lesson after he was done and so like he proposes we have this you know amazing emotional moment and then I started trying to teach again. And then about five minutes into it, I was like, never mind. I'm sorry. Like, I can't do this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just so excited. And so this is a group of junior high kids. So I feel like they're like, how are they feeling about this situation? You know, they're just starting to like get into like boys and girls and that sort of stuff. So what did they think? Were they like cheering? Oh and- <laughs> yeah, they were freaking out. And all of my, my own students at that point, like come rushing into my classroom and they're like, why we've been waiting all year for this. Why did it happen today? Like, we wanted to see it. and then my five students who were in there were like, haha, we got to see it. And it was just, it was so fun. And even the following year we got married in April. So the following year, just leading up to our wedding was so much fun. I mean, eighth graders are a blast. And so, you know, they kept threatening that they were going to find out where the wedding was, that they were going to crash the wedding. Um, And my last name is Schneck. And so at that point in time, I'm Sexy and I Know It was a really popular song. It was 2012 when we got married. So they came up with a new song. These kids come in and they're like, Mrs. Schneck, Mrs. Schneck, or I guess it was Miss Hoffman at that point. Miss Hoffman, Miss Hoffman, we have this great song for you. And so they started singing, I'm Schnecky and I know it. And it like became the theme song all year. Okay. So if there had been hashtags at that time, it would have been hashtag Schnecky and I know it. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> and so we sang, we had that play at our, our wedding reception. And of course we sang it, I'm Schnecky and I know it. And it was so much fun. Oh, that's really cool. Okay. So I got married in 2011. So yeah, I'm trying to like think like smartphones were a thing, but not really. Hashtags weren't really a thing. Did you get married in the um, mason jar explosion of Pinterest like wedding time period? Yes. Okay. That's me too. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have any like standout memories from the wedding obviously the full day was memorable but but is there like a moment in time that you always like to remember oh goodness there are lots of memories maybe this isn't one I like to remember but I forgot my bouquet walking down the aisle so I'm like halfway down the aisle and I'm like why are my hands free like I'm holding on to my dad with one hand but you know my left hand's free and I'm like oh shoot I (laughs) forgot my bouquet and then I'm like I'm just gonna act natural and just you know pretend I did it on purpose maybe no one will notice (laughs) Okay, I'm going to call your maid of honor out for that because that's her (laughs) one job. I know what happened. (laughs) So like, did you ever like get it or did you do the whole ceremony without it? I did the whole ceremony without it. And honestly, (laughs) okay, I'm really short. I'm 5'1 and the bouquet is beautiful as it was, was huge. It really like engulfed my, my body. So honestly, I think it's a blessing that happened because I loved my dress and it really got to show off my full dress anyway. So it worked out okay later and we took pictures with it. So it's fine. See, now I'm the opposite. I'm 5'11". I'm very tall. And so I wanted this monster bouquet, you know, because I can like really carry a monster bouquet, but I didn't anticipate that 
you know, like in order to have a lot of flowers, you needed to have a lot of stems. So, I mean, the stems of this thing were like this big. It was like a, almost a two hand situation because it was like, I was holding like a tree trunk worth of flowers. <laughs> That's funny. And they're heavy too. They're like, yeah. heavier than you think they'll be. Yeah. So you, you met in college, dated for five years. You now get married. Tell me about like deciding you wanted to have kids. Well, we always knew we wanted to have three or four kids. And so early on in our marriage, my husband always knew that I wanted to be a writer. So what was difficult is I was working at PV as a teacher. And like I said, I loved it. Um, but at the same time, I just kept feeling like this calling to resign and start my writing career. So I resigned, which was the hardest decision of my life. And at that point started writing. And then while I was home and writing, it just really felt like the right time to try to get pregnant. And so we got pregnant right away and we had our firstborn who is Landon, our son. From there, he was like the easiest baby ever. So my husband and I were like, what are people talking about? Like, parenthood? <laughs> this is so easy. Like we should just have another one. So um, our first two are actually only 17 months apart. Landon and Zoe. We have Zoe. We say she's the child who humbled us um, because she was colicky. So we had this really easy baby. And then all of a sudden we bring home this beautiful baby girl who just does not stop crying. And it, I'm trying to take care of a toddler. And now I'm taking care of this baby who wants to nurse all the time. I mean, if you look at pictures of her, she was just like that big chunky baby. Um, she ate all the time and it was so difficult. <laughs> How did you get through that? You know, day by day, there were some tears shed on my part as well as hers. You know, I just remember one day breaking down and be like, I can't, can't do this anymore. Like she just cries. Like I'm such a happy person. I was like, I can't fathom. Like, does my baby not like life? Like, why does she cry all the time? And, you know, of course, everyone's giving me remedies and saying, are you doing this? Are you doing that? And honestly, to this day, she's just a very strong-willed child and she's very sweet. Um, but when she's mad, she's mad. So I don't think it had anything to do with what I was eating or drinking. It had nothing to do with nursing. It's just her personality. Yeah. So how long did that last? Oh gosh. Just like the bad colicky symptoms. I know it's hard to say because I think it was probably only a couple months, but it Denise, it felt like a lifetime. <laughs> Girl. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird. I feel like I have so much in common with you right now because yeah, Abram was a super easy baby. He was fantastic. That's why he's on the wall and the other one isn't. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Everett came around and just like totally rocked our world. And I should say that. Yeah. I think he probably humbled, humbled me quite a bit more than, more than I realized that I needed to be humbled, but isn't it yeah, funny how that happens? Yeah, but there's something there's something about that that second baby that that just turns the whole household on its head. Holy smokes. Going from 1 to 2 was way harder than going from 2 to 3. For sure. So tell me about the third. Um our third is Savannah. We waited a couple of years in between <laughs> after having Zoe, but we decided to have a third and um Savannah was an easy baby, but it was the most difficult situation we went through because when Savannah was born, um, she was immediately whisked off to the NICU, had no idea what was going on. Of course, after labor, I'm, you know, drugged to some degree and I had no idea what was going on and she couldn't breathe on her own. So we were at the hospital for about a week 
And eventually she started to breathe a little better enough for the doctors to say, we'll send, we'll send you home. She's okay now. And then after that, we were home for several days after, after having two other ones, I could sense something was wrong. Like every time she would nurse, I could see her rib cage going in and out. I told my husband, I just don't have a good feeling about this. This is like, this is not right. You know? Um, but it wasn't bad enough that, you know, she's blue in the face. So it was one of those things where it took a couple of days for my husband and I to say, you know, she has another follow-up appointment next week. Should we wait? Um, and it was a Friday after or Friday morning. And I said, no, we can't wait the weekend. We just need to go in and find out what's wrong. And I'm thinking maybe it's a nursing thing. Like she just doesn't know how to breathe while nursing just because that's when I noticed the biggest difference. Um, but we go to the doctor and immediately they, you know, they do the, um, pulse, is it oximetry tests? I think is what it's called. So they did the test and all these nurses just come busting into the room. They're grabbing an oxygen tank tank and putting it on her face. And I'm like, what is happening right now? I thought we were just going to get some nursing tips. And so they take us in an ambulance to Trinity hospital. And we were there for another week. They ran every test could not figure out what was wrong with her before they sent us to Iowa city. And we were there within 24 hours. uh, One of the doctors comes in and says, your daughter has a very rare lung condition. It's so rare that you have better chances of getting struck by lightning in your lifetime than having what she has. It's congenital lobar emphysema is what it's technically called. And so the next day she immediately went in for surgery and they had to remove part of her lung. Oh my gosh. It was a whirlwind. And so, I mean, she was a month old at this time? 10 days. 10 days. Oh my gosh. Like how, how did you handle that? Oh my gosh. You know, I think when you're going through something hard, you're, you're kind of on autopilot at that point, you know, the full extent doesn't actually hit you right away. Um, especially as a mom, because I'm not only worried about Savannah and, you know, is she going to survive this, but I'm worried about my other two. They're at home. My son was about ready to start four-year-old preschool. Uh, It was just such a hard situation. My husband didn't have a lot of time off because he'd already taken it off for her birth. So he couldn't, that day, um, the first day, first full day in Iowa City, I was there by myself. And that was probably when it started hitting me like, oh my gosh, because my mom came up, she's taking care of my other two kids. My husband goes back to work. I'm, you know, just waiting for answers at that point. Um, and before surgery, she couldn't eat or nurse. So she cried the whole day because she's thinking, mom, mom, you know, I'm, I want some milk. And so that was so hard for me. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That sounds really difficult. What was her recovery like then after that the surgery recovery was great? Yes. Uh, the doctors in Iowa city did an amazing job. Um, and she, she, you know, she's got scars right here where they came in and removed part of her lung. So Right now we will still wait and see if she has asthma. Uh, I do notice like when she's out and about, she kind of, you know, she has a harder, harder time breathing if she runs or plays. So I think she probably will, but it could just take some time for her lungs to like fully grow and develop to where they're a little more normal than they are now. So other than asthma, is there any other long-term like effects of this? We'll have to wait and see. I don't see any at this point. Uh, because her oxygen was so low at the beginning, you know, could she have issues, you know, could her brain have been affected to some degree possibly, but at this point we don't see 
any problem at all. So we're optimistic that she's, that she'll be fine. And her, her doctor in Iowa city is, is also very optimistic because it's so rare. It is very rare, but you know, Iowa city to them, it's not rare at all. Right. So her doctor was very comforting for sure. Good, good. And so as you're, you know, you're staying at home, you're writing, um, having babies, how, how does your writing getting started through all of this? <laughs> well, I'm really glad I started when I was pregnant with my son, let me tell you, because at least I got a full novel in at that point. But having the kids made it hard to finish a novel first. So I thought, you know, I really want to start connecting with readers. To me, connecting with readers is very important. It's not just about writing a story or writing a book. I want to connect with people. So I started writing love stories on my website. So once a month, I'd pick a couple. I would write their love story as if they were the hero and heroine of their own story. And when I would look at the analytics on my website and see how many people were reading these stories, I thought, huh, people really like these. Maybe I should write a book with these love stories in them. So I actually published two love story collections, completely captivated and completely yours. And both of them have seven stories. They're about real life couples because I sit down and I'll I'll interview people, I'll interview couples. And then I write their stories as if they're fictionalized. Okay. So yeah, if you're sitting down with a couple, what do you think like makes their love story quote unquote, good enough to, to write about is anybody's story, you know, like worth telling, I guess. I think a lot of stories are worth telling for sure. And it's at the beginning, it's about convincing the couple that it is worth it because what's funny is a lot of times when I tell people that I write love story collections about real life couples, they say, Oh, you would never want to hear our story. And then an hour later, they've told me their whole love story and it's totally worth hearing. What do you think are the elements of a good love story? Like what would be a love story that really ticks all the boxes, you know? I think when people are authentic and real about the problems and conflicts that they have in a relationship, it makes for a better story. Because problems and conflict doesn't mean it's a bad marriage. It just means that you had a struggle that you had to get through. And I think that's what's so special about the love story collections, because they're a mix of weddings, engagements, tragic circumstances and breakups. So you don't actually know which couples will end up together until you finish their story, because that's real life love. Some people, their love lasts a lifetime. Sometimes a loved one is tragically taken away. Uh, Sometimes you do just break up. And, and then you meet somebody else later, you know, um, it's all, all these love stories are special and unique and they make you who you are. They make you who you are in a future relationship. So I think it's really important that these love stories are heard. Yeah, no. And I think it's a good point that you bring up because when you automatically think of love story, you think of perfection from start to finish. You think of two people who are so connected, they would never have anything to fight about. Exactly. (laughs) Let's let's get into your writing a little bit. Um, another thing that I sort of identified you with you on was that it was fifth grade when you started writing and that people started noticing that you had a talent for it. I specifically remember being in fourth grade and writing this like some sort of poem. And I didn't think it was that big of a deal. But I just remember my parents and my teacher like going ballistic over this poem and saying like she could really write someday. And so I, I guess in a way I'm a writer now. I mean, I write, you know, broadcast copy, which is not like novels or anything, but there is quite an art to it. 
There um, is. That's so awesome. But it, but it's, it's interesting because it stands out to me in my head that somebody said like, you're good at this. You know what I mean? And as a kid, like, you don't know what good at something is, or I don't know. Did it happen for you the same way where people sort of were like, Hey, you have a talent for this. Yes, it did. My parents are my biggest supporters. They were I remember them really encouraging me to write. And then my fourth grade and fifth grade teacher, Mrs. McMains and Mrs. Coldiron, uh, you know, they were super supportive and they really liked my writing. And I remember in fifth grade, uh, we could read part of our story to the class and several people would read at one time. But I think I was one of the first people in line to read. And I stood at that podium and I remember I just kept reading. And I remember being almost toward the end of my story, thinking in my head, wait a minute. No one has stopped me and I should be done by now. And I look out and everyone's just entranced. And I thought, wow, maybe I am really good at this. This is exciting. (laughs) When did writing really start to focus in on like romance? That's a really good question. I've always liked to read romance. So in college, I wrote my first novel and it was a young adult novel. But I think I probably started focusing on romance after I got married. Okay. And I think part of it was probably, you know, our marriage. Part of it was probably, like I said, I really love reading romance. And even in the short stories I was writing, it just seemed like I loved writing about love. Yeah. That's when I knew, okay, I think I need to switch from young adult, which is, it kind of seemed fitting at the time because I was teaching teenagers and reading a lot of young adult novels. But the more I started thinking about it, I was like, I really do like writing about messy, complicated relationships. So let's just have a go at this. Yeah. So do you typically write like from like from that like third person point of view? Do you try to like write first person, you know, through the eyes of one of the characters? What's your style like? So I write from third person point of view, but there's this, it's an a newer technique, I would say, that's called deep person point of view. You can write from anything. Like it still could be first person. It still could be third person. But when you write, you write as if you're still in that character's head. So instead of saying things like if you've read books where it says she wondered or she thought, you actually take those words out and you just write exactly what that character thought. Interesting. And so you're still in their head. It takes a lot of practice. Let me tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then I'm wondering how, like, how do you translate like that male point of view? You know what I mean? Cause that's like, we could never, you know, step into a man's shoes on their side of a love story quite the same as they could. Exactly. It is hard. I, for me, what I've learned, I've written five books and in my small town romance series is really when I get into the heads of my male characters. And I think interviewing people really helps. So in my last book, I just published Caleb was in the air force and he's a firefighter after he gets home. And I interviewed someone who was in the air force and a firefighter and hearing their points of view, even just about their careers really helped me form Caleb's character. I would say he's probably the best male character that I've written because my interviewers were so, or my interviewees were so good Um, at giving me information that I was like, okay, I know exactly who Caleb is, what he would be thinking, because it's essentially the two of those men combined. Yeah. Okay. So like, how do you, how do you get people to open up? How do you, when you sit down and say like, all right, like we're going to dive into who you two are as a couple, like what are some of your tips and tricks? 
You know, and I think you'll understand this as someone who interviews people a lot. It's about asking the right questions, asking very specific questions, you know, that really gets people talking. Or one of my favorite questions when I'm interviewing someone about their career is what's your, what's one of your favorite memories or what was one of the hardest situations you've been in that gets their wheels turning a little bit to where they start talking more specifically about their experiences. Yeah. Yeah. I would say one of the hardest things, and maybe you can tell me how to, how to crack this, but like, you know, people always start by kind of just glazing over something. And it's sort of like, you have to train your ear to be like, ah, 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 like stop. (laughs) I want to hear more about that. You do. That's exactly right. What are you working on right now? I'm taking a little bit of a break. Um, Stained Heart was actually my, so the book I just published, the last book in my small town romance series was my young adult novel. And I loved my characters so much. I knew I would come back to them one day. So when I, you know, I wrote the love story collections and then I decided to write this small town romance series. And I knew in the series that somewhere I would put Caleb and Grace. And so I finally decided to put them at the end. I didn't really even revise that young adult novel. I just, you know, picked the characters and said, all right, I know I love you. I'm going to put you somewhere. So I'll put you at the end and make this all encompassing sweet story at the end of the series. Romance is an interesting like genre. I'm sure people always lead with the stereotype of like the Fabio on the cover and like the shirt is ripped open and the lady is like this, you know, that's what I think of when I think of like the cover of a romance novel. I know. And I, (laughs) I write sweet and wholesome romance. So it's kind of that mix between it's not quite Christian fiction because there's no Christian plot line. But it's sweet and wholesome. So there's no steamy scenes. Of course, my characters are falling in love. And, you know, it's more about like the butterflies they get in their stomach, the thoughts that they're having as they fall in love, the conflict that they're having. But for me, I'd rather focus on those things and make it clean than focus on some of those steamier scenes, if that makes sense. Well, you're missing the opportunity to try to come up with all the different innuendos for the male anatomy. I mean, that could be a really fun game to play. (laughs) Okay with that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I like how you describe it on your website. You know, you're like, you can write a whole paragraph just on like the moment you lock eyes with someone and like the second before you like kiss for the first time. Oh, yeah. Because if you think about, you know, the first time you kiss your husband, time slows down. And you can remember that moment. Actually, I was just talking to my husband about that the other day, because the first day we ever kissed was April 11th. So I always tell him that I was like, oh, honey, it's our kiss anniversary today. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, the kids are like, ew, mom, that's gross. (laughs) See, The first time I kissed my husband was we were in college. So we were at a bar and it was like. For some reason, we were like walking through the bar and we stopped in that moment and kissed for no apparent reason. But the only reason we tell that story is because maybe a couple weeks prior, he had gone out with someone else and had told her he wasn't looking for a relationship to this other girl. Now, meanwhile, like he now he and I have started dating and we are like, we are serious from the jump. And so the we we kissed for the first time in the middle of this bar as the girl from the couple weeks ago was standing right there. 
Oh no. <laughs> like now furious because here is this like Joker with a beard and a backwards hat, like now like making out with this girl. So it was a very I mean, it's not really the most like romantic moment, but it's very um it's very like sliver of our lives as they were at that time. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, it oh, was, yeah. like that's exactly how we should have kissed for the first time because that's what we were doing. Yep. And that's your moment. No one yeah. can ever take that away from you. And it's special no matter where it was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Give me your thoughts on like modern day love stories. So I obviously haven't dated in 15 years. You haven't dated in a long time either. How do you think like love stories are changing now that there's so much more like online dating and you don't meet people in the same ways that, you know, you used to, of course, people still meet in college, but a lot of times you meet on an app first. It's true. Um, I think they've, like you said, they've changed because there's so many other ways to meet. So I think that makes it exciting as a writer because that's always one of the first things I plot is how will they meet? So in Shackled Heart, my characters, my character, Charlie, uh, actually is on parole. And so he meets his love interest because she's his parole officer. Um, <laughs> that was definitely the most one to, most difficult one to navigate um, because there are so many rules and restrictions, obviously. And then the other, in my next novel, Shattered Heart, Amanda and Ethan, um, Amanda's dad is diagnosed with lung cancer. And she meets and starts falling in love with her dad's oncologist. What's interesting about that is that Amanda is very into all holistic approaches. She works at a birth center. So when her dad gets diagnosed with cancer, she's like, you know, I just don't know about chemotherapy or radiation. I think you should try these holistic approaches first. And then you have Ethan, this charming guy who she's really attracted to, but doesn't believe in the same things he does. And so in the end, you know, they start realizing that they have more common interests than they think. And that's getting her dad healthy again, whether it's his approaches or her approaches, they still want the same thing. Right. And then right. for Caleb and Grace and Stainheart, they were high school sweethearts. So what was fun about them is that they had already loved each other once. So even though they didn't love each other again, when they're reconnected, they have these prior past experiences that can be brought up in their conflict as it goes, as their love story, you know, develops. So do the couples you interview, do they know which characters they end up becoming? Is that fairly obvious or? So the, the love story or the small town romance series are completely fictional. Okay. 100%. Okay. The love story collections, I do use their real names unless they ask me to change their names. Okay. So typically like the breakup stories, I will use fake names. I say, who do you want to be? What do you want your name to be? Just because I'm not out to make anyone look bad. And just because they broke up doesn't mean that whoever broke up with someone's a bad person, but you know, I don't want, like I said, that's not what my love story collections are for. So they kind of have fun. Those people were like, okay, who do I want to be? I've always wanted to be, you know, a Bethany or, you know, a Mary or whatever. So that makes it kind of fun. Well, and of course, like not all love stories have like a, you know, like an ending, you know, some are just like still going and evolving. So how do you like wrap up some of these stories, knowing that hopefully the couple has another 20 years to be together? (laughs) 
Yeah, that is really hard trying to figure out where do I want to start? Where do I want to end? What do I want to happen in the middle? Especially because all these couples, you know, have these different stories, but they have similar elements. So it's about navigating where it ends and begins. So some stories might start at the end and then I'll go back um, in time and play out the love story or some of them they'll be told sequentially. I think as a writer, you know, that's where I try to make the biggest changes is just so that the reader can get invested in the story, you know, by the end. Um, because otherwise I try to make the details as realistic as possible. So if someone remembers all the dialogue of what was said, then that's the dialogue that will be in the story. Okay. Okay. Do do people have like that good of memories? There was one person, one of the breakup stories. She, I mean, she remembered that breakup to a T and I probably wrote that scene within 30 minutes. It was probably the fastest story I ever wrote because she had such a good memory that all I really had to do was come up with, well, what would he or she have been doing when they said those things? Okay. Okay. Oh, how interesting. Let's get into my little game here that I want to play with you. I'm scared. It's going to be a little, it's going to be a little (laughs) lightning round. And I know you said you're not great with pop culture. So we'll just like, we'll just roll with it and see. So I'm going to name a famous couple and just like, tell me whatever comes to the top of your head about that couple. Okay. Oh gosh. Okay. No pressure. All right. So the first one, Kim and Kanye. Aren't they divorced? Did they just get divorced? That's what I think. Getting divorced. Yep. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Charles and Diana. Oh, um, first thing that comes to your head. Come on. Oh gosh. No filter. Horrendous ending. (laughs) (laughs) In many, many ways. Yes. Um, Barack and Michelle. Um, beautiful couple. Adam and Eve. Um, Trouble in Paradise. (laughs) (laughs) Oprah and Stedman. Oh gosh, I don't know anything about that couple. Okay. How about Rose and Jack from the Titanic? Oh goodness. Um, Bittersweet. Baby and Johnny from Dirty Dancing. Mm, Sexy. (laughs) Ross and Rachel. Oh gosh. Fun. Okay. Okay. Um, they have a lot of ups and downs. So how about, are you watching Shits Creek? No, I haven't watched that. Okay. You need to watch that. And (laughs) okay. You need to watch that because I had on here, David and Patrick. Oh, I'm sorry. David and Patrick (laughs) are like the, one of the most beautiful love stories ever told, I think on like a modern day show. It's like incredible. Okay. I'll definitely, really well written and well-developed. It's it's a very, very cool story. (laughs) Um, all right. So what about, did you, um, did you watch the, the Megan and Harry interview with Oprah? I didn't watch the full interview, but I, on YouTube, I, I caught bits and pieces of it. So yeah, I know enough about it to talk about it. (laughs) Yeah. So I think their love story is super interesting because, um, you know, you have this, these two people who have, you know, very little in common, you know, in some respects from two different countries. And I just feel like there's a lot of elements to their love story because number one, like it's like a royal story. So everybody likes those. But then you have this like, her family is a little crazy. She's got like the, you know, the crazy dad and the crazy sister who like half sister who comes out of the works. Then you've got Harry and he, you know, he's the second in line to the throne. I feel like there's a story here. (laughs) Oh, for sure. If they ever want me to write their love story, I would totally be in. 
<laughs> well, and the, the big drama is right now is Harry went back to England for the funeral of Prince Philip. And so Megan's at home, but obviously Harry is walking into a real lion's den right now because they're not too pleased with him. How do you imagine no. that, uh, that <laughs> situation going? It's going to be really awkward. I hope they focus on what's really important and that's respect and honoring, you know, at the funeral, Philip, Prince Philip at the funeral instead of focusing on the family drama. But I'm sure there'll be some conversations going on behind closed doors. <laughs> How would you write the ending of that love story, Megan and Harry? Where do you think this one's going to go? I don't know. They have a lot to navigate, you know. Um, I Watching the interview was was interesting because I you know I used to love princess watching princess Diana when I was a little girl of course all I have is this little girl image of princess Diana and I have watched the crown so I now you know know a little bit not that that is is completely real but that is very similar to my love story collections you know what I'm saying where it follows real life but yet obviously there are some made-up parts because no one really knows what was said you know right of Um, course but yeah, they have, they have a lot to navigate. Um, so at this point it would only end maybe after their second baby is born because that's kind of where they're at in their life, but we'll have to see what happens. I mean, in the end, I hope the best for them. I hope they're able to continue staying strong and focusing on them and, and, you know, figuring out the family dynamics relationships with relatives is always hard, <laughs> but yeah, for them, and I feel hard like they can have such analyzing them. <laughs> Yeah, they like the family intervention can have such a huge impact on any relationship, you know? How many how many love stories involve like a crazy mother-in-law, you know, who really makes things hard for people. Yeah, I mean, in a way I do feel bad for them, you know, because it's it's hard for any couple to go through situations but then to have everybody like picking apart every single comment you make, that would be so hard. Yeah, for sure. I think the, and the hard thing for her too is because she's the woman, she's looked at as the one who must have been, you know, like the wicked new American wife who comes in and rips him out of there. And, you know, she is automatically made the villain. And I think she has some villainous qualities, but I don't think she's out there making him do something he doesn't want to do. Right. Yeah, the whole thing is so dramatic. It will be very interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, for sure. You've been writing all of these years, but I feel like getting then published and getting these things on paper and off your computer, that's a whole nother hurdle. How did that go? (laughs) Oh, yes. Every book has a different story as far as publication goes. Um, This last book was, it was the easiest book to write because those characters have been in my head a long time. But I wrote most of the final draft during COVID. So what made this particular instance hard is that, you know, my kids were home for some of it. Then they were in the hybrid schedule and, you know, getting a two-year-old, a five-year-old and a six-year-old to understand, Hey, mom needs to write her book was really difficult. Thankfully I had been doing it already. So Landon and Zoe, my two oldest, they got it. And my youngest Savannah was taking naps at the time. So um, that really helped. I got a couple hours every afternoon and, you know, it was interrupted from time to time. Mom, I'm hungry. Mom, I need this. What happened to my iPad? And, you know, <laughs> but I, I've done it long enough. And if I do it at the same time every day, I've gotten to the point where I'm really good at snapping from mom mode to writer mode. Otherwise, my books would probably also be sitting in my computer. 
Well, and I feel like creative people have that project in the back of their head and it's churning in there, whether or not you're conscious of it. Oh, for sure. <laughs> you know? Okay. So how, how do you go about getting published? So I decided to self-publish my books and I use, I have a wonderful professional editor, a cover artist, a formatter. So it's all about finding the right team to, to still make it a very professional, polished book. So that's really what's key in the beginning. Now that I found this wonderful team, now the publishing process is a lot easier. And Amazon is amazing because they have a great, um, great, a great group of people who then will take that stuff and then create a book for you. And so you can order like author copies, which is wonderful because I can order as many author copies as I want and have them at home because I do a lot of vendor fairs and book signings. Like I said, to me, writing is all about people. So instead of just having readers, you know, buy books on Amazon, I want to meet them. I want to be at vendor fairs. I want to do book signings. I want to see them face to face. And that's what makes it really exciting. You know, my critique partner often tells me, you know, you've gone, you've kind of made this like a grassroots type of writing business. And I say, yeah, I have, because this is the way that I want it to be. I want to see people. I want to meet the readers, hear what they thought. That's what makes it fun for me. Okay. So the last year must've been really hard then because looking on your website, you had a full year's worth of events and library talks and meet the authors. And I'm guessing you haven't done one in a while or have you? Nope. Yeah. It was so hard. Yeah. So hard not being able to do that. I really had to switch gears. I was using Facebook, but I really had to only use social media to connect with readers. But I will say for this last book, it worked out wonderfully. I published it on Valentine's Day. And that was at the point where still not a lot of people had been vaccinated. A lot of people were still indoors. So not only was it the last book in the series, and I had readers who were super excited, but it was a lot of a lot of new readers who said, oh, you know, I've heard of your books or I've seen them. Now is the time that I actually want to get them. I want to read them. Um, so it worked out in the end. But I'm definitely looking forward to doing in-person events again. The other thing I think you can probably do is you could probably write an entire love story based on the evolution of somebody's marriage from January 2020 <laughs> to February 2021. Because I feel like people have really like gone through it in the past year. A lot of things have changed for people. It's true. I actually had a reader. It's funny you say that. I had someone reach out to me and say, have you ever considered doing a love story collection on the pandemic? You're on to something. I don't know if I could write it right now just because I feel like although we're getting out of it, we're still in it. But down the road, I could definitely... I would definitely consider writing it because everyone had some people, this particular person, the reader who mentioned it, she has been separated from her husband. Her husband works in New York. She's been separated from him this entire time. Wow. Like, as in like, get like breaking up separated or they just, I'm sorry, they're together. Yeah. Okay. They've been distanced the whole time. Wow. So like they had moments where they thought about, you know, getting together, but, um, or seeing one another, but then someone, one of them got COVID, you know, and then one of them wanted to wait till they were vaccinated and things like that. And then, you know, they, maybe they've seen each other since she contacted me a month ago, but she said that it was a very hard year. 
Yeah, no, I can see that. But I mean, there were so many factors at work. I mean, you have people working from home together, you know, I'm sure there's the couple that were like in the same room all day, both working on their (laughs) own individual computers. There's the couples who the mom's trying to work and the kids are home for the, for the schooling and that's, you know, complicating the relationship or even, even I think there's, there's a story to be told about when the woman feels a certain way about COVID and the guy feels a different sort of way. And they're like butting heads about how to best proceed with, with life in a pandemic when two people feel differently about it. Yeah, that is so true. That's my husband and I a little bit. Oh, tell (laughs) me. Because Savannah, you know, had the rare lung condition, her pediatrician considers her high risk. So my mama bear mode, you know, really came out during this pandemic. And I was like, okay, the beginning, I mean, I was like psycho mom, like wiping everything down as it came in. No one's going anywhere. Um, But my husband had to go to work. So like, I think I lived in fear for the first three months. Like, oh my gosh, we're all going to die. This is going to be terrible. And as time has gone on, I'm actually grateful that my husband and I were in different places. Like, he took it seriously, but he wasn't psycho like I was, you know, or overly <laughs> cautious. Maybe I'm being too mean to myself. But in the end, he really like had this calming effect on me. He's a financial analyst. So he's like the opposite of, of me as far as like, you know, I'm the creative dreamer. And he's just like, okay, let's look at the facts here. So every time I would like hear a statistic on the news or something, he's like, let me break this down for you. This is actually, you know, in some instances, this is not that bad. And he, he wasn't yeah. saying that about the pandemic, obviously, but just, you know, little things just to calm me down. And I was like, okay, all right. All right. You know, like, it's going to be okay. Yeah. So, so he would like take some of the hype out of it. He's the one who can strip away the emotion and focus on the numbers in front of him. Yes. You know, but as time went on, he was really sweet. And in the end, you know, we did stop doing a lot of things. So I, you know, I think we were able to meet in the middle. I wouldn't say we, you know, like you said, I wouldn't say we butted heads about it, but we did have differing feelings and emotions um, as far as like how cautious we should be. But in the end, I think it brought us closer because, you know, we were able to kind of navigate like how he was feeling and how I was feeling. And we came to a good balance, I would say. See, and I think for my husband and I, I think being at home together kind of made us really evaluate how we want our family flow to be because we were working really opposite schedules beforehand. And then once I got sent home to broadcast from my basement, then I'm suddenly available and I'm home more. And it's like, we've, we both had to figure out, all right, like ideally what schedules do we really want to work? What what dynamic do we really want to have? And can we use this pandemic moment as a way to shape that? And I think we've sort of been able to do that. And I'm working a little bit different schedule now, and it kind of like helps him on his end. So, but without the pandemic happening, I don't know if we would have been able to navigate that. And we didn't always navigate it successfully. I mean, it wasn't like super smooth. I feel like there's probably a love story turning point for a lot of people, probably for better or worse. I totally agree. I think it's awesome that you and your husband were able to, you know, navigate that. I've thought about both working couples, you know, full time that had to have been so hard. Honestly, our saving grace was our kids never were out of daycare. 
So they're not school age. So they've been in daycare the whole time and ours stayed open, which I know many people's didn't, but I think things would have been way different had our kids been at (laughs) home the whole time. You know what I mean? Just like that would have been, that would have been madness. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's nice. (laughs) (laughs) Well, is there anything else that you want to talk about before I let you go? I've kept you almost an hour. You know, I think you had asked me what I'm working on next. And I didn't really, you know, like I said, I'm taking a break. I recently became a writing coach. So my next step right now is focusing on my clients and getting more clients, you know, so if there's anybody out there who's a writer who, you know, wants to know how to publish or how to market or how to even, I'll do a lot of critiques. So if somebody wants me to read their book and critique it for them. I can do that. You know, I'm not a professional editor. It doesn't replace editing. But like I said, I really work hard with deep point of view and, you know, techniques like that, that I've learned five books in that now I'm at the point where I'm taking my teaching degree and my writing skills and using both of them to help writers because everyone has a voice. And if, if you have like a book inside you, but you don't know how to get it out, I want to be that person, you know, that helps you get it out. I once told a client that, publishing a book is kind of like labor. You know, I said, cause she's like, she was having trouble just getting it out. And I was like, you know, you just, you need to keep pushing, like just push, push the baby out and then we'll work on, you know, we can work on the rest after that, but you have to get it out first, you know, as messy as a rough draft might be, you just have to, you have to keep pushing. No. And it's a perfect analogy. Cause I find that about my writing as well, where it's like, you just have to start. You just have to like get, you know, get some facts out on paper. Um, Cause if you sit there and try to refine that sentence perfectly, you are never, you're never going to make it beyond to that second sentence. You definitely just have to just spit it out on the page and then work and refine it from there. You do. You have to be okay with a messy rough draft, right? There's nothing wrong with that. You have plenty of time for revisions and editing later, but yeah, you have to get that internal editor or perfectionist out of your head first. Yeah. And it usually comes out more natural that way. When you stop, when you stop thinking about it. So, so I don't know, strictly it comes out more the way that it feels in your heart instead of in your head. I totally agree. (laughs) Yeah. So where can people find you? Where can people buy your books? I know you said Amazon, but Mm -hmm. Um, they can also reach out to me. They can email me. And, um, what I have been doing in 2021 is if they email me and they want a book personalized, I can write their name in it, or maybe they're not a reader, but they want to buy one for their mom or their mother-in-law, like, you know, with mother's day coming up, um, I can sign it with somebody's name in it and we can send it to them. So shipping is free. You know, if I'm competing with Amazon, uh, shipping is free on me, uh, and I'll send it anywhere for anyone who wants it. And social media, where can people find you? Yeah, look up Crystal Joy on Facebook. They can find my page. And then my website is crystaljoybooks.com. All right. Well, thank you so much just for spending an hour talking about love. It's a it's a good little mental break to just focus on the good and and hone in on your relationship. It is. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. I hope you will check out Crystal Joy's books and maybe if you share your love story with her when you find her on Facebook, she might write about you next. I want to end this episode with a little shout out to my sister-in-law. 
So I was just in Florida the past weekend, and I went down there. This was the first time that my husband and I have taken a trip without the kids probably since we had two kids. So it's been a minute. It has been a hot minute. And so we went down to Florida for a couple of days because we were going down there where my brother and my sister-in-law live because she is opening a boutique. And she's been on this podcast before. Um, she opened an online boutique and we talked about that last year and it's called Thread and Theory. And so it was doing so well that she decided to open her own storefront in Fort Lauderdale. And so we were down in Florida celebrating her success. And I'll tell you what. So first of all, her store is beautiful. She is going to be wildly successful because she just has the eye and and she just she just knows how to put pieces together and to make everything aesthetically pleasing. But when you're in a store and you overhear like a couple girls, you know, the next fitting room over saying to each other, "Wow, this stuff is so cute. Oh my god, I love this skirt. This so, this store is so great." It's like It's weird because that's a normal thing you would say in a store, especially if you're like, you know, really liking the clothes or whatever. When you're in there and you're like, I know that's my sister-in-law's store. Like, seriously, you guys, like, I know her. I know her. It was just such like a wonderful feeling of pride. And Erica, that's her name. Erica and I talk a lot about like manifesting and, you know, envisioning our dreams and, and actually coming up with a plan to go after them. And she has been one of the biggest fans of this podcast in terms of telling me to go after it. And she always says to me, if you, if you, uh, let me get this right, Erica, because it's important. Erica always says to me, if you play small, you stay small. And so she's always encouraging me to think bigger, go bigger, go harder, dream Bigger than you could imagine. And so um, I don't always follow her advice because it scares me, but I'm so inspired by the fact that she is living her advice right now. She's playing bigger and being bigger and manifesting this life um, that she and I and our families were able to celebrate this past weekend. So you don't have to be in the Florida area to shop Thread and Theory. You can find her online, and she has the most perfect summer attire. So even if you're in Iowa, you can dress like a Floridian, or at least I try to sometimes. So check out Thread and Theory. She's online, and um, she's on Instagram. She also has, like, the perfect Instagram, but whatever. Enough. Enough. I've loved on Erica enough. Um, anyway, so I'm lucky that she's my sister-in-law and that she um, she is an inspiration to me and one of my biggest fans. So I appreciate that about her so very much. So anywho, um, as long as you're on Instagram following Thread and Theory, I hope you will also follow this podcast at On A Mother Level. I am coming up with some new things to post on there and I am still working on getting some merch sorted out, you guys. One day I hope to tell you the whole story of merch and this podcast evolution And uh, maybe that day will come. But for now, I will just tell you that I'm working on it. I promise. Okay? No more playing small. Play small, you stay small. We play big around here. Right? Okay. Thanks so much for listening, you guys. Hope you enjoyed Crystal and her love stories. And until next week, thank you for listening to On a Mother Level. When it comes to parenthood, we can relate. You have been listening to the WQAD Podcast Network.